Welcome to the Learning Factory Museum of Art. Please remember, the exit is through the gift shop. Welcome back to the Learning Factory. Uh, we are joined today by a very special guest, somebody very knowledgeable in the ways of arts and visual arts and, and just generally a better practitioner than both of us put together. And so hoping to bring up the general intelligence level of today's episode, we are delighted to welcome Bernard Kerr all the way from Perth in sunny Australia. Jesse, do you want to give a bit of background on our esteemed guest? Those of you in IB circles, and particularly those of you that like your crayons and your, your butterfly paints, would uh, would know about Bernard. And particularly those of you that like to play with a bit of mud and try and make pots and stuff, he's a bit of a, a ceramist guru. Um, and he's done a bit of uh, bit of artwork, I think. You know, ventured a bit into that field as well, outside of teaching. Uh, he's taught in Indonesia. He's taught in other countries, and he's uh, worked a lot in Perth in schools there, and most recently as a uh, MYP coordinator in Melbourne. Before now, just retiring to travel around the isolated state of Western Australia. Yeah, that's right. But it's a it's a it's a big place, so it's <laughs> there's a lot to see. Yes, yeah, so welcome to the Learning Factory, Bernard. Thank you. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Great. So, yes, now we did, uh, when we sent out the invite to you a while back, we did um, give you a link to, ha to have a listen to a few things. Now, be honest here, have you actually listened to any of our episodes before? No. <laughs> <laughs> Just like the rest of the audience. Ah, right. One day, Dave will get a guest on that actually knows what they're getting in for when they come. I know, I know. Well, then they won't. Right. Then they won't come on. That's the problem. That's right. So uh, this week we're we're sort of looking similar to what we've done, where we spoke to Andy about PE and Glenn about the performing arts. Um, obviously, visual arts is another one of those very practical subjects, and um, it's one that I guess new teachers can find challenging to work out how to still build on the skills you've got the, the content but then deal with all the the myp ib stuff that people feel is an added extra when they're new to ib so Bernie, can you give us some tips what do you what are your tips of, of, about incorporating the concepts the the myp concepts into visual arts one of the most important things to understand about myp visual arts is that the myp should not be an added extra or something to make art teaching more difficult it actually gives you a really coherent structure so the, the structure and the way that the criteria and the objectives are organized makes a lot of sense if you're an art educator because you know art, art is about ideas but it's also about making those visual so using, you know, becoming fluent in a visual language and being able to express yourself. So express the concept or an idea in a visual sense or in a visual way through a certain type of medium. And it doesn't really matter what that medium is. And one would hope one does that in a creative way. So the criteria as they stand, where we've got knowing and understanding, developing skills, thinking creatively and responding, all of those things are integrated and go together in a really coherent way. So. I think teachers shouldn't should use that to their advantage 
art and, and the history of art and the history of visual arts and how it goes together. The language of visual arts, elements and principles such as line, texture, tone, balance, unity, harmony, those types of things. And then their ability to actually make their own art, you know, use that knowledge, use that understanding to actually make something meaningful for themselves. I won't go on. You asked me a question after that, me saying that and tell me what you think about that response. Does that make sense to you as a design teacher? It does actually. Yep. For me, it's the big thing is uh, the communication aspect because you're trying to create, communicate through various mediums. And I suppose we're trying to communicate through solving problems and making products. So that I can relate to that a lot. But if you're a teacher coming in fresh, it might be quite a difficult and a student, I suppose, a difficult concept to grasp. How do you explain it to like new teachers coming in? I think the, the, the thing to understand is that you don't necessarily need to begin by teaching a skill. So to teach skills in isolation to concepts or to teach skills in isolation to ideas or examples or historical uh, antecedents, I think misses the point of what IB art education is all about. So, you know, giving kids a colour wheel to colour in out of context you know, it's a waste of time. But showing them paintings by some modernist painters such as the Fauvists or the Cubists or whatever, and then getting them to analyze that and respond to it and then basing then that some, some color mixing theory, that makes sense because it's in context. And then letting them use that to make their own portraiture or their own Cubist painting, then that makes a lot more sense. So it's all about giving uh, the context for kids to want to learn more about how to express themselves visually using elements and principles of art. Do you find that that global context then of personal and cultural expression lends itself a lot better to some art units than some of the others? Not necessarily. I think you, you can use any global context whatsoever in the art and you can use any key concept as well. So, I mean, I look at the key concepts in the, in the guide, the arts guide, and we've got, you know, aesthetics and we've got communication. I mean, all arts communication in some way is my feeling. And I think they've got change in identity, but you could look at perspective. You can look at systems. You can look at whatever. A lot of new teachers think, oh, I must use the ones in the guide. And they are very good, fantastic, really great. But it doesn't mean you can't use other concepts as well. Yep. It really is about the fact is that kids explore ideas. As long as kids can explore a concept, and often in the context of the visual art. So there should be some type of artist historical connection if possible. But yeah. people get a bit hung up on, you know, oh, we're doing cubism as if that's the be all and end all. But conceptually cubism is about the relationship between, uh, you know, the three dimensions and time as a fourth dimension. So it's a conceptual understanding that then could branch into other directions that I think make it much richer for kids, if you know what Yeah. I, mean. I was just going to say, our, our listeners, they can't see me nodding along in agreement, <laughs> even though what you're saying is just way over my head at the moment. Like, I'm, you know, I'm a colour by numbers kind of person, so which my wife despises anyway. <laughs> the, so on, on that, so you were talking about, you know, about, you, you can't just teach skills in isolation and often design 
um, one of the topics that often comes up in workshops or, you know, with teachers is about how you find that balance between working through the design cycle and teaching skills so that you, you're getting a quality product as well. So with that, what, what do you find is a good mix, I guess, of, of sort of practical work in, in visual arts as well as that sort of, not the, not the theory, but the, the non-practical side of it, you know, when you're looking at the history and the movements and those types of things. Yeah. How do, I, how do you balance that? I think it's very similar to design from the point of view is that um, you often do thinking visually in a sketchbook or on paper or on a computer screen or whatever, but you actually record, you're putting something down that, that, that's visual. Um, and you can think about it, it, it can be thought of as a, as a problem. It's an artistic problem to be able to communicate yourself effectively in a novel way and steer clear of cliche, for example. You know, I always say my art classes are a cliche-free zone if we can actually get there because that's one of the greatest differences. It's very easy to slip into cliche. But yep. exploratory nature of it, I think, is really important. And so in visual arts, traditionally, you've used drawing. So by drawing, by seeing, by responding to the environment, by responding to other artworks, and by using drawing in a range of different media and different tasks, probably different media will lend themselves to that exploration. But also that's in two-dimensional art, so drawing, painting, printmaking, that type of thing. In three-dimensional ceramics, sculpture, you, you may actually do the exploration in a three-dimensional material. So making small models or marquettes, we call them. You heard yep. of that word before, marquette? Marquette. Um, I think he was a he was a football player. <laughs> he could have been. Played for St Kilda in 1945. <laughs> I think that'd be right. Um, anyway, but, but actually working three-dimensionally as an exploration as well. So it, it's really about having something so you can actually enter into some type of dialogue. And whether that's a peer-to-peer -peer dialogue with kids or teacher-student dialogue, because quite often it's through dialogue and it's through working through their process journal and doing numerous drawings and thinking about what if we did this, what if we did that? Let's look at it this way. Let's look at it from a bird's eye view, from an ant's eye view. Let's tear up the piece of paper and stick it back together and see what happens. You know, you yep. can do a lot of creative exploratory things that may lead you in a certain direction. And because... In, in visual arts, it's really important to keep things open-ended. Yeah. And, and talking about safe spaces to create rather than uh, punishing kids for getting something wrong. It's kind of the idea you want for us. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, if you have a visual arts class and everyone turns out, you know, the end piece is all the same, I think you've failed. You've manifestly failed because... It's really about giving kids some space to develop their own vision. And yeah, and that, that's a bit like design as well. You know, we're not about everyone making a, uh, a wooden pencil box. Yeah. Um, you, you might find something that they might come up with something that can help them keep order on their desk, but at least you can see where their thinking's going. And if they fuck it all up and they have a pile of firewood at the end, then, then that's it. At least they've still gone through the process and they've identified how not to do it next time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think that quite often happens in the visual arts too, is that yeah. you know, sometimes, sometimes people become slightly disheartened, but 
you know, that again is part of the dialogue really. And also perhaps part of that criteria four that we have called responding, where the, the third strand in that is critique the work of this, their own work and the work of others. So, yeah. you know, they may look at another painting or another piece of pottery or another sculpture and, and actually talk about it, what they like about it, what they don't, what they think works, what doesn't. But they also need to do that with their own work. And that's yeah. that iterative process where the next project, you know, hopefully they'll, they'll develop an understanding. Well, often the way that that strand works out in a ceramics class is Davey says, well, if Johnny had got the fucking air pockets out of his piece, I'd still have a piece and it wouldn't have exploded up the whole kiln. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's actually a bit of a furphy, you know. <laughs> it's, not, it's not air bubbles that blow up things in the kiln. It's not drying it. So the steam forms in the air pocket. Did you know if that? You, if you had have listened to our previous episodes, Bernard, you'd know we're not shy of a furphy on this podcast. Ah, right. <laughs> okay. well, I suppose that, that's a bit of an Australian expression, isn't it, furphy? People wouldn't know what it that is. is. Straight it's on my head. It's a tall tale. Yeah, it's a bit of an uh, apocryphal story, you know, that yes. someone's air bubbles blows things up, so... I'm up to at least seven new words for the day today because you yeah. two. <laughs> right. right. So moving on. Sorry, sorry, sorry we get sidetracked. Um, now, so when you're going back and talking, uh, you were mentioning before about the criteria and how um, you know they've they sort of all flow together. What's your thoughts on the new art guide that's coming out? Um, I haven't had a good look at the new arts guide as yet. The new one, so the one I've we're still using the one that's to from to 2015. Yeah, from yeah, 2015. comes out next year. Comes out next yeah. year. So the I guess the biggest changes to it are that there's only two strands in each criteria. Right. Yeah, I haven't yet. So three, three criteria. Is it? Yeah, and there's something like a. You can apply it. Some you don't have to apply because they're performing. Like it's it's not the same criteria across all of the arts anymore. Or something. All oh, right. Okay. Some only apply on every second Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. Just to make it even more awkward. <laughs> the... That seems to be a trend where we're going to three criteria rather than four. Yeah, the projects went that way, didn't it? And now. Yeah. Well, the design used to have six, didn't you? At one time. Yes. Yep. And that was that was when some that was when some kids that was the only time they could get a good criteria mark their attitude towards design <laughs> right yeah well they've tried hard they've got a top mark there because their work's shit. <laughs> um, it might be interesting. No, you're probably going to go in and have a have a good look at it. What was said the one thing in the old one that you're you were just crying out for them to change in the old guide? Ooh, you hope they, you hope they've done. Uh, this is always Jesse's standard interview question. If he's interviewing yeah, a yeah. teacher, what would you get rid of? That's right. D4. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I think there's a few that could be amalgamated, that's for sure. So, you know, like creating an artistic response and construct meaning and transfer learning. You know, how do you differentiate between that, for example? So, yeah. Always, you know, I'm a fan of simplifying it and I'm a fan of leaving it up to teachers to make their own judgments because they're professionals. And so they should be able to contextualise the kids' learning depending on the clientele and depending on their 
cultural, you know, situational, socioeconomic context, whatever it is. Mm. So I think that's that's pretty important that, that, that they can do that. Um, so I'd be interested to see if they go down to three criteria, what they actually are. So what conflate knowledge and understanding with developing skills, maybe, because developing a skill is also knowledge and understanding, maybe. Mm. Yeah, try and, try and get as many as you can at the same time. Are they doing the same for design? We wait with big uh, breath, I think. Um, you're waiting yeah. with big breath, yeah, right. We're, we're, we're not up next year, we, we're back. Yeah. Because because if you ask most admin at most schools, design's not a real subject, it's just a timetable filler. <laughs> well, like what I was trying to promote at, at Caulfield Grammar School is design is one of the most important subjects in the curriculum, and it's going to be increasingly important in the 21st century. And yes. every student should study it from year one. So there you go. You don't have to sell yeah. money. No, and I think and there's a lot of places, like particularly there's a lot of colleges and universities now that are accepting design technology as a science, which, which is now allowing kids to see design as a pathway beyond MYP as well. So it gives it a bit more credit too, I think, which is good. Well, um, and, and I think the countries that will do well in the future are the ones that have got a really great design education. Now, yeah. whether, whether they manufacture in the country or not, that's another thing. But I think, one thing COVID has taught us is perhaps we better actually develop some design skills and start manufacturing at home as well. Yeah. 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 So, so with with your long, uh, long illustrious career in the classroom, mm. what are some of the the best units that you've had that you thought that's an absolute cracker of a unit? They're usually, the, you know, they're all pretty good, may I say. <laughs> so modest. I try not to do ones that aren't too fat, you know. Bernard's just brushing the tickets off his shoulders right yeah, now. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, I mean, one of the, I think, most successful that I did for Year 5 MYP was a sculpture unit that was based on the, the tradition of, of Western sculpture, which goes back to the ancient Greeks and, and possibly earlier. But the, the depiction of the human form and the human figure and the idealization of the human figure. And so there was a big push in ancient Greece by a Greek sculptor called Polyclitus to develop what was called a body canon, the perfect proportions. And it was about the relationship between the human body and the gods. And so there was this idea that the gods were perfect, that human beings could, could aspire to being perfect. And to do that, you actually had to have perfect proportions. And so yeah. as part of that unit, we actually integrated quite a bit of mathematics. And I could see it as a, it could be a, an IDU if you wanted to. I ran it mm -hmm. just as special art units with a lot of maths associated with it in terms yeah. of proportions. And Polyclete's idea was it was a certain number of heads high. And, and so it was seven heads was his perfect per, per, proportion person. And we got the kids, every, all the kids measured themselves and then saw how close they were to the ideal. Yeah. Not, not many. <laughs> but the odd one, which was quite <laughs> interesting. And, but, but subsequent artists changed that proportion and made bodies more elongated. That was an ideal of beauty. And so right. there was this whole historical thing about what was beauty and what was, what was attractive and what wasn't, what was a beautiful person 
beautiful man or a beautiful woman in terms of their relationships or their proportions of their body. And that linked into a whole range of issues, you know, whether that's to do with the beauty myth or to do with eating disorders or to do a whole range of things. I mean, it was amazing how much stuff actually came out of it. Yeah. And yeah, and then we welded large scales. So we actually made a human figure half scale. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, so a metre and a half or so. So reasonably large sculptures. And the kids welded a metal armature and then we actually used um, a whole range of paper and then filler and then plaster and carved. So they did a bit of modelling and carving and then we put a patina on the outside. So they ended up with these really fantastic-looking sculptures. Some of them, uh, a lot of them in motion. So it was kind yep. of like what was called contraposto, where the weight's on one leg or not the other. Yeah. Um, and how long, like, it was a, what that sort was of a, time frame were Yeah, it was in? a semester-long unit. So it was the, probably the longest unit I've ever run. And it was in yep. year five. So it was with these people. And they were 3D specialists. So the school I was in, we organised it so we'd run, you could choose three-dimensional art or two-dimensional art. Yep. In the 2D art, we had two units that were sculpture and ceramics and they could work out pottery or not. And this major sculptural unit that was a semester long. Um, but they learned so much about the human face, the human physique, about what was, put, you know, the idea of perfection. And what was interesting, I mean, the ancient Greeks got to a point where they could reproduce the human body so it looked perfect. But there's yeah. a thing called the uncanny gap. Have you heard of the uncanny gap? No, go on. No. Okay, so the uncanny gap is where you get so real it gets scary. Yeah, and so, yeah, right. yeah. so contemporary robotics is having this issue at the moment because Japanese are making robots. But if they get too real, people actually get scared. Mm -hmm. So okay. you've got to make them real enough but not too real, if you know what I mean. And yep. that's, that's the uncanny gap, if you like. Is that why so, they sometimes didn't put in the pupils, the eyes and stuff like that? You'd have like blank eyes and stuff to make them not uh, real? No, not in ancient Greek sculpture. They used to actually paint their sculptures. Uh, okay. So we're used to seeing Roman copies of Greek bronze originals. But when the Romans took over the Greek empire, they took all their bronze sculptures and melted them down and made weapons. But, but luckily, they, they copied them first in marble. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Yeah. But originally they were what's called polychrome. They were painted. And so that's yeah. something else that's kind of interesting. Should we just sit back and listen to you talk about uh, sculpture for the next hour? I'm ha quite happily there. Learned an absolute mountain of information. What are you talking about next week on the podcast, Bernie? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, the other interesting thing I found about this unit was, you know, like Greek sculpture was naked because, you know, they used to. The Olympic Games were performed in the nude and when they used to exercise, they used to do it in the nude and all their sculptures are in the nude and whatever. And one of my questions, you know, when they're looking at this Greek sculpture was, you know, they all did it in the nude, you know, um, blah, blah, blah. You know, what? how would that change the way they thought about nudity and whatever? So it was a bit of a cultural thing to look at that. And then the, another question was stand in the position of the sculpture. Tell me how you feel. You know, how did it feel? Because it feels quite powerful standing in that position. But a lot of them mistook that and said they thought they had to take their clothes off. <laughs> 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 it, 
I got all these responses like it felt a bit strange at first, but <laughs> uh, my neighbours enjoyed it, sort of thing. Yeah, uh, and that's uh, when and that's when Bernard was asked to leave the school. <laughs> no, 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 I didn't ask them to do that. That's just how they read it. But um, anyway, that that was a, that was a particularly great unit. So on that, yeah. obviously, great unit. So great what, what's, one? what's one that when it's all gone tits up? Uh, I'm just trying to think what hasn't worked very well. Sometimes, you know, depending on the class size, because it's a practical subject, as you well know, and because it can be incredibly messy. And, you know, sometimes I think I've possibly given slightly too much freedom to younger children. And then because you're operating under time restraints, it's, it's caused lots of problems. So I do remember a silk screening unit where there's lots of ink that if you get on your clothes, you can't get it out. And you get letters from mum and phoning up the school because the expensive school uniform's ruined and whatever. But we had so many problems with, with paint going everywhere and kids trying to clean up and the bell going and, you know, all of that type of stuff. So the need to structure things i think and to and to to make it fit into the the time but that's that's one of the, the things that you need to be very aware of i think it's five so, minutes it, lunchtime and there's paint on the floor and yeah and the ceilings and everything yeah yeah well it's more silk screens also block if you don't wash them so you mm. can't leave them they have to be washed and otherwise your entire you know infrastructure is kind of gone so that, that can be quite problematic. Um, so it's all about choosing the right thing for the right age group too, I think. So yeah, uh, yeah. That, that's been my, my biggest concern, I think. And, but you know, it's all about having to work in a school context where you have to finish things in a certain time frame, which mm. I think is really problematic. Yeah. So, you know, it's much better if you can uh, organise your timetable so that you can go into lunch if kids want to, or you can go after school if kids want to. Yeah, and quite often that happens. And it's just often a matter of 10 minutes or 15 minutes that makes a big difference. And yeah. double, double periods as well. I used to always try and get the timetable to give me at least one double so that we could actually get an extended response. Well, that's always a battle, isn't it? With you know trying to get doubles for, for practical subjects. And then, you know, trying to get more time on the timetable as well. But I, I'm, I'm a big believer, like MYP was originally, where all subjects are created equal. But unfortunately, yeah. some subjects are more equal than others now. Well, that was interesting. So at Caulfield, we, we, I was able to push that. And that was what they're going to implement, is all subjects, same time allocation, yep. which is fantastic, yeah. Yeah, so, and that's, I guess that's one one positive I've, I've got from coming here this year too, where they're, they're, I guess, flabbergasted that design's only got two periods a week and they're, they're, they're pushing for it to, it'll be three next year and then hopefully back up on, on parity with everyone else afterwards, mm. so. Yes, parity of esteem and parity of time. Yes. Parity of time equates to parity of esteem. So on, over the, over the course of, uh, season one and and our summer shorts Bernard and, and for the few episodes of calling this P 
period two of the learning factory, we've got some, I guess, some themed questions. Mm. All right. So one of them is a drink, your, your favorite cocktail drink, basically, that sort of describes you as, a, as an educator, as an art teacher. What would, what would the, the cocktail be? And, and when you, what type of ingredients are you talking about? Like personality and, and drive and enthusiasm and... Yeah, so Jesse's a virgin Cuba Libre hold the lime. It's just <laughs> <like> boring <laughs> glass of coke. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Wow. Oh, gee. That's a difficult one. Come well, on. I'll let you, th I'll let you think of that. No nonsense, just a, just a lager. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Eskimo slammer. I, I, I'm trying to say it would be a gin slammer, but I, I don't know if that's, that's quite true, really. Especially given my predilection for ceramics and, and doing all that type of stuff. It's kind of, it's. Uh, oh, so it'd have to be something served out of a tiki glass, then, would it? Yeah, probably. I think so. It could be. Or, you know, a nice beer stein with, with, a, with a dent in the side of it. <laughs> so, that's what i've been throwing lately they've been selling very well actually is these uh beer mugs yeah that, you know and then i've been glazing the the, the outside in this kind of dry glaze that's non-slip and putting a dent right. in putting a dent in the side when it's still wet so that your thumb yeah. fits in it so you can't no. drop it it's, it can't slip out of your hand and then glazing the inside with white and the, around the top so it looks like a foaming head Nice. Oh, They've been going very well, actually. It's good. Yeah. So we're going to get those yeah. branded up with the Learning Factory written on them. And we'll yeah, start I think you on should. The workshop. Yeah. Sounds That's good. It. Expect our first and order yes. coming soon. Uh, <laughs> one of the other things we, we, we do with the guests, we subject them to a, a bit of a quick fire round uh, called Win It or Bin It, uh, where you get to uh, either win or, or bin, reject certain things so like sort of stereotypes tropes and and other sort of nonsense we hear all the time in teaching so we've got a couple of those for you i've got what have i got four here jesse you've got a couple lined up as well i think yes so do you want to so you got quickly win it or bin it and you can offer a little bit of explanation if you want are you ready go, yeah. go dave far away <laughs> my first one to ask everyone is written subject reports Bin it. Bin them. I haven't got a single person that likes them. <laughs> no, they're an absolute waste of time. I don't think, I don't think parents particularly read them. Uh, that, you know, it's one of those things that people glance over and, you know, is he doing all right or what's happening? Or, you know, and it really depends on the context of the parents. And some, you know, like the pushy parent who's, you know, the tiger mother or whatever, you know, nothing will ever be good enough. And other parents don't really care. And, it's just an incredible amount of wasted time that teachers put that they could be spending developing a better lessons in the classroom. Yeah. Add that to my argument against them for the coming year. <laughs> put in my folder. Jesse, over to you. Yep. Uh, when it all been it? Virtual workshops. Uh, yeah, mostly been them, but I, I, you know, I can see their relevance in the current context, obviously. Yeah. You know, uh, they're better than nothing put it that way i don't so think they're, they're not nearly as good as face to face i mean jesse if i was 
you know, sitting, having to chat to you across a table, it'd be much richer experience for me because I could see your glinting brown eyes and all of that. But, but you can't read people nearly as well on a screen, I don't think. And it's really easy to be distracted and look like you're attending to what's going on and you're not. And it, there's not that, that human sense of connection. I think yeah. we're fooling ourselves if we think that we're actually doing as good a job online as we do um, face to face. And especially yeah. things like training for teachers, the IB training, quite often that I think is, it ostensibly looks like it's training people, you know, to do a wonderful job as a workshop leader or as a field representative or whatever. But my feeling is more than anything else, it's about compliance and just making sure that you're fulfilling all the requirements almost from a legal point of view rather than truly developing great educators. Yeah, and I think often one of the best things that comes out of like a face-to-face workshop is then the, the networking and the connections that you make. Yeah. That's, that's where you then you learn because then you, you've got those connections various places around the country or around a, a region that you, you call on for advice and that's where, that's where the benefit of the face-to-face comes through. That's right. And the other thing about it is to be actually sent away somewhere and stay in a hotel and with your colleagues, it's something that you do when you're special. You know, it's an actual, it's a bit of a, um, it's a reward for being someone who's a good teacher. And so I think teachers respond to that. It's about that difference between you know, the weight of the everyday burden of going to an educational institution and writing reports and all the hoops you have to jump through and the the tedium of it sometimes. I mean, thank God we've got young children to deal with because they're pretty exciting, you know. They're they're the great joy of the thing as far as I can see. It's the administration and the bureaucracy that's the, the dead weight. But the novelty of going somewhere and actually a different city, ideally, and flying somewhere is even better, but going there and actually interacting with you, you and going out for dinner with them and having a few drinks with them and arguing about the criteria or whatever, that's really vital. I think that makes a huge difference. And I've seen staff yeah. come back from workshops, especially when they've been sent away, just totally energised and excited and enthusiastic. And we gradually see the bureaucracy and the administration gradually chip that away until right. we need to do it a second time. It's definitely when you see the person come back from, you know, they've had their their four days in Tokyo or whatever, and then you've got the other bloke that's had to do an online workshop for the last month. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's Broken. exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Or, or one of your colleagues goes away and you see them come bouncing through the door and you're like, oh, fuck, they're going to change everything, aren't they? Look at them. <laughs> <laughs> a little twinkle in their eye. <laughs> Oh, oh, we've been doing it all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we've been doing it. That's enough. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's right. Uh, my next one, win it or bin it, is uh, the term non-academic subject. Bin it. That's what a ridiculous thing. That's the most stupid, ridiculous, archaic, uh, you know, kind of counterproductive term I think there is in education. Great. All right. Now you sort of you you almost alluded on this one. When it all been it, admin. <laughs> well, I, I, I mean, you've got to have some admin when when assumes. Um, I don't know how much though. When you say admin, are you talking about you know 
compliance to like national curricula and uh, making sure that you know oh, oh yes where's where's that related concept oh yeah. oh you know oh ah you have, i you guess know. it's it's a bit also about the um the that those admin people at the school maybe that have been in admin for so long that they've lost touch with you know what the what the classroom's actually like and mm. you know the 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 daily challenges of a of a classroom teacher compared to to the the front office sitter um and yeah. i think that's where it's important for people to sometimes to go back and forward well, yeah, that was interesting too. In my last role, they made every person, I think, apart from the principal and the heads of schools, so there are only three people. Everyone else had to teach at least one class. Yeah, that's good. And I, and I thought it was a, a good thing. So rather than, you know, my role as an MIP coordinator, I just had one class a semester. And um, that kept me on my toes, but it kept me in the classroom. It kept me thinking about what was going on. and it, But it also had... You know, I had connections with kids. You know, learning. Yeah. So, I, I think it was a, it was a really good thing. So that would be my recommendation. I wouldn't say necessarily totally bin it because you do need a few people to make decisions, and hopefully, yep. they're, they're decisions that allow teacher creativity, teacher agency, student agency, and actually get a real buzz. You know, as you do in a really good IB school. Well, I think when you like when you say that when a, a like a principal, if they're still teaching a class, they, the decisions that they're making usually are more informed because they can see the other side of the, yeah. the coin as well. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But, you know, you would know as well from being a workshop leader, just when you do visit a school where the IB is being taught well, there's a buzz. There's a real buzz amongst the kids and the staff mm. and the, the relationships between them. And you walk into a classroom and kids are excited. They want to go there. You know, yeah, and that's if it's done well. If mm. it's just done because we're doing the IB and it's kind of a marketing exercise and whatever, but we'll still teach the way we always have, and it's still teacher centred. You, you don't actually get that. So, you know, and that's a lot of that is down to admin. I think you've got to have yeah. admin that are willing to to promote the the learner profile and and true inquiry in their classrooms, and to be flexible and to train their staff. So that that's what it's all about. Yeah, pity, pity I'm kind of a bit past being a principal, really. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> Dave, did you have any more win it or bin it? Uh, I had uh, digital art software as opposed uh, to like doing your whole project on on an iPad, for example. What do you reckon? I I think it can be it can be done, but it should be a very it certainly shouldn't be the major part of any visual arts course. I mean, I, I think learning, there's no way that you are going to become uh, a, a decent artist if you only work in, di in purely digital media, media. I think you've got to use some traditional media as well. Okay. Now, having said that, you know, it's difficult to make a blanket statement about it because everything is in context. So no doubt there are some individuals that will probably you know, work purely in a digital format and, and become very adept at the software and do some fantastic stuff. Mm. But I think for the vast majority, I think basic skills like learning how to draw or learning how to, you know, sculpt a, a figure or whatever, 
are really important. And then if they wish to move into that digital, digital space is a possibility. So I can see, you know, if you look at contemporary, a lot of famous contemporary artists, one who are professionals, mm -hmm. there's quite a few working in, in digital media, um, but they're still very much, you know, using line, texture, colour, form, space, unity, harmony, balance, you know, all these elements of art that you only really learn through doing. Yeah. And, and, and it's, I think a lot of that's quite difficult to do just purely using software. And so especially you're if you're starting to work in a formulaic manner, like producing anime or using clip art and that type of stuff. So more of an add-on than a foundational thing. Uh, look, you know, I don't like to make any absolutes because, you know, I can see it as long as you're communicating visually and effectively, you know, there, there is a, that is a pathway. That is a possibility, sure. Cool. You know, but but I, I like the richness of, of a range of different contexts. So, I mean, for example, we've done some units where we've looked at Baroque portraiture, which is, you know, a little like Caravaggio with the dark backgrounds and shadows and all that. And then compared that with, say, Oriental painting, where it's much flatter and it's much more linear and all those types of things. Um, and, you know, I could imagine doing some work in that and then taking it into a digital realm where you might look at images produced, say, of Chairman Mao or, you know, things, and then compare that with other political ideology, you know, propaganda images or whatever. You know, there's a lot of richness that you can gain and maybe you end up in that digital space. So, yeah, I, I don't... I think that's a space for ex exploration, put it that way. That was a very succinct answer. Oh, yeah. No, it wasn't. Impressed. <laughs> All right, the last... It was a very complex question. <laughs> the last uh, thing that we started doing, we did an episode uh, in our first season about fantasy faculty where we basically staffed the school with who we thought were the best people to teach that particular subject. So uh, you've got an opportunity to choose two teachers to come in. Now, they don't have to be teachers, obviously. Any person from history, alive or dead, uh, you've got to appoint one 2D person to teach 2D art and one person to teach 3D art. So who would you employ? Well, it'd be pretty hard to go past Michelangelo for 3D, I would imagine. <laughs> Although Henry Moore would be quite fun, I imagine. A lot depends on their personality, doesn't it, really? I mean... I think a lot of artists are very poor teachers. So yeah. it, it's got to be someone who can work with young people. It's got to be someone who can collaborate. It's got to be someone who understands a whole range of different things. So from that perspective, you know, it's kind of probably better to think of someone who's a bit of a polymath, I think, to be a good teacher. So, you know, someone who not only understands their subject but other ones as well so maybe leonardo da vinci would have been it would be a good person to yep. teach 2d art and then he can also you know help out with the idus units <laughs> that we get run as well he'd be really well, good. Dave, helicopters you, in design uh, yeah. Dave, you had you had him as one of your design teachers didn't you i think i did yeah i can't remember who i had yeah. i'm just glad so i knew got, the okay. person you were talking about i was like yes i actually know the person all right <laughs> So you've got Leo as your 3D specialist, and who would you have as your 2D specialist? Yeah, I'm a 2D specialist. 
know, you know, you could um, imagine someone like, you know, someone who's personable, someone who's exploratory, someone who uses a range of different media. David Hockney would be very good, I imagine. He'd be pretty good. Yeah. Um, Louise Bourgeois, you don't probably don't know who she is. Uh, I, I, I do know who she is because, a, yes, my, my uh, wife rates her greatly and has a lot of her uh, books of her art. Right, yeah. She's an interesting, interesting character, I think. Um, yeah, let me see. I, I, I want to have a man and a woman. I like gender balance in my department, so I think that's pretty important. So, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll say her or... I haven't really thought about this actually, but you know, if I could, if I could really draw on someone from the, the history of of two D of three D, you're talking about. Yeah, she's a sculptor. All right, let's say her. I can't think of anyone else at the moment. That'll do. Yeah, right. Okay. I'm just. I'm, my computer's just locked. I was going to look and see who we had as our art teachers, Dave. I'm trying to look it up. I'm, I'm going to mention them on Twitter, uh, but I don't think Leo's got a phone these days being dead for the last 500 years or whatever <laughs> <laughs> so we'll, we'll give him a shout out uh, i think i had somebody ridiculously pop arty like banksy or someone like that uh, who, uh, i was appealing to the masses uh, <laughs> <laughs> my my design um, teachers were very hipster uh, yes oh yes here we go arts uh visual arts yes dave you had banksy and i had brett whiteley Oh, Brett Whiteley. Yes, well, I imagine he'd be a difficult one to keep under control in his school. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, Bernard, so you're you're doing a bit of uh, ceramics and that sort of thing. So if, look, we don't have a huge uh, amount of listeners. Um, we, but we, we've, got a, we've got a small contingent of loyal followers. If they wanted to get in contact with you to check out these uh, steins with the, the dint, what's the best way that they can get on to you? If they, if they just Google Bernard Kerr ceramics, yep. there's another Bernard Kerr from New Zealand who's a, who's a mountain bike, bike racer, quite famous and advertises beer. Well, that's not me, right? <laughs> okay. So it's Bernard Kerr, not the kiwicyclist.com. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you got it. Yeah, so send it through and we'll, we'll whack that up on our, on our okay. Twitter for it's, you yeah. as well. Just a, a Google search of Bernard Kerr Ceramics will get you to my website. Awesome. We'll, we'll stick that in there. I'll, I'll save everyone the Google and we'll stick it in the show notes for people to, to click on. Yeah. Watch. All right. Well, thank, thank you very much for taking uh, time out of your, your evening and, uh, and joining us in the, in the factory. Uh, it was a pleasure to have you on. It's yeah, been fantastic. I've loved every minute of it. It's been great to meet you, Dave, and fantastic to see you again, Jesse. Same pleasure. Yes, yeah. good. And, good. And hopefully, you know, we'll actually be able to, well, we'll be able to leave Western Australia at some stage when they open. <laughs> the <laughs> like the rest You'll be of able the... to leave, but you won't be able to get back in. Get back, get back in. <laughs> That'd be right. It's like Hotel California, yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. It is like a bit like Hotel California. All right, mate. Good to talk to you again. Great. Great to see you too. Okay. You, All, right. All right. Good chat there with uh, Bernard, uh, one of our probably more knowledgeable guests, even though all of our guests have been more knowledgeable than the two of us. 
So yes. we'll uh, we'll get all his uh, info and all his links for those wonderful uh, TLF branded ceramic beer mugs. He says they're impossible to drop. That must be on the first beer after five or six. I think you're probably dropping it. Yeah, that was good to good to get him on and, and speak to a real expert and in in his subject area. He's quite knowledgeable. He's you know he's taught visual arts for a long time. He's seen it from outside the classroom in a in an admin position as well. So yeah, it was a good chat. Good insight. Yeah, oh, no, it's it's good. He's got he's got his uh, head in the right place as well. He's he's not taking himself too seriously and he knows what the IBA actually is all about rather than maybe what people think it is. Yeah. It's a bit of inquiry yeah. rather than skills and stuff like that. So yeah, for uh, sure. sure. Just another, another great guest on the learning factory and we've got a few more coming up over the season. So stay tuned. And if you haven't heard our other guests from season one, go back and listen to them. As always, you can suggest uh, guests or suggest um, topics on Twitter or Instagram, catch us at uh, TLF underscore tweets or the Learning Factory podcast on Instagram. And you can uh, rate, comment, subscribe. Really helps us out on whatever podcast app you're using. More people who you suggest us to, the better. So if you've got somebody who might be potentially moving into a bit of art or moving from art to design or something like that, that's a perfect episode to introduce them to. Other than yes, that, it is. Other than that, I think it's time to crack the top off a cold one and uh, put your feet up for the evening. Happy Happy days. (laughs) You have been listening to The Learning Factory. End of recording.